You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome to another edition of the Systematic Investor Series with uh, Moritz Siebert and I, Niels Kastel-Larsen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. For long-term listeners, our conversations are intended to keep you focused and inspired to continue your trend-following journey. And if you are newer to the show, our hope is that today's episode will trigger your curiosity to check out the back catalog of all of the past episodes that you may have missed. Good afternoon to you, Moritz. How are you doing? Doing great. Sunny Easter Sunday, Niels. I hope you're doing fine too. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, just about to say that uh, first things first, we wanted to wish everyone listening into our conversation today a very happy Easter. We hope you're safe and well, healthy, uh, as we go through this um, unusual time with most of us, I imagine, uh, in some kind of uh, lockdown uh, situation. What also seems to be locked down a little bit this week is our technical equipment. We had actually a guest on. We've been trying for half an hour to get his uh, equipment to work so that we could actually hear him without too much static noise. That didn't work. So instead, Moritz and I are going to be uh, uh, talking today, probably in a little bit uh, different uh, format since we had not prepared for this particular event. So, um, but I'm sure it'll be um, fun and I hope it will be uh, interesting. In terms of a normal market wrap for the week, uh, it obviously was a shortened holiday week. Um, but I want to do something different again today because rather than me talking about what happened in the market, which we'll do anyways when we go to our kind of more specific portfolio um, insights, I want to just suggest a few things that you do um, while hopefully there's still a little bit of extra time um, since we're not commuting to work uh, on a daily basis. But I wanted to mention three videos that I watched myself in the last 36 hours, and I hope that you will go and watch all three of them. We'll put the links at least to two of them in the show notes. So if you just uh, go to the show notes for this episode on toptradersonplug.com, uh, then you uh, will be able to see the links. The first um, interview I saw um, is actually on the TED Talk uh, platform, but it is an interview, and it's with Ray Dalio. It's recorded a couple of days ago, and essentially Ray Dalio sets out what he thinks uh, is coming for the world, for the markets, and, um, you know, it is um, somewhat... Um, I wouldn't use the word disturbing, but I, I can't think of any other word right now. So I'm going to use the word disturbing. For those who think that everything is hunky-dory, uh, this will be a little bit of a shock. Um, but I think it's very important to listen to some of these experts because if indeed um, some of this will play out as they think it will, then we all need to prepare. Now, the second interview is a great conversation with uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth on the value attainment uh, YouTube channel. Uh, so the first one was on the TED Talk YouTube channel. This is on the value attainment YouTube channel. Also a conversation I think was recorded uh, this week. Um, and of course, the topic is the same, what's coming for the world, but it's also a really good history lesson as to how we got to where we are. Um, 
Ray Dalio does the same, but with a different um, take. Um, but actually, um, they do see some really similar outcomes uh, from all of this. And uh, the last kind of must-see video, unfortunately, is on a um, paid platform. It's the Real Vision platform. We talk about it a lot. But I do think you need to watch it. Um, and it's uh, Raul Pals, uh, just him talking. And it's an episode uh, also recorded very recently called The Unfolding, in which Raul Pals sets out um, his uh, playbook for what is likely to come. Now, if you don't know, um, he's been incredibly right in his calls the last 12 months. Timing is always difficult, but in terms of what actually turned out to happen, he's been um, incredibly right. And um, I personally, um, when I take off my trend-following hat, I kind of personally agree with the way he sees what's to come. Now, for all of these three people, what's uh, interesting about it is that they all see some really major events ahead of us things that we have not experienced uh, in our lifetime for, for most of us. Um, and things that some of you will say, no, that is impossible, that can't happen. I think we've already seen the last month or so that things can happen even though they seem unlikely. So I think we need to all pay attention. Now, Moritz and I don't really have an opinion from an investment point of view because we let the data guide us. And that's obviously very important. That's why you come back every week to listen to what we say. And that hasn't changed. And that's not why I bring this up. But what I will say is that if these uh, experts um, and in the macro uh, experts are right in what they see, I have no doubt, zero doubt, that trend following will do extremely well in the coming years. And that might actually fit into the fact that it's been a bit of a struggle for many trend-following strategies in the past decade because central banks were very good at um, holding the economies at a very narrow band, you know, plus 1%, plus 2% growth, no recessions, et cetera, et cetera. What they're seeing is not stable, uh, let me put it that way. Anyways, that was a long, different market wrap, but I do encourage all of you to go and watch these three videos. Okay, if you don't have access to the Real Vision platform, maybe there's a $1 trial and you can go and watch it in that period. Um, the other two videos are completely free uh, on YouTube. And as I said, the show notes uh, for this episode today will have those links. So just go to toptradersonplot.com, find this episode and um, go check that out. You'll be, um, you'll be glad you did. I'm pretty sure of that. Now, Moritz, that was a long, weird intro. How are you doing? How is your portfolio doing? <laughs> What's I'm, the week been like for you? Yeah, short week. I'm doing fine. I uh, I watched uh, Raoul's uh, unfolding video, which I found very interesting. Um, quite a bearish view of um, the dollar first exploding and then imploding, and kind of like eating its own tail. I have not yet watched the Ray Dalio TED Talk, but uh, thanks for pointing it out. I'll do it um, in the next couple of days, I guess. Um, other than that, rough week trading-wise for me. Um, lost a bit more than 4% uh, this week. And um, month to date is now minus 1.6%. Year to date, still positive, slightly more than 1% up. But unsurprisingly, I mean, all the losses came from short positions, um, you know, 
short cotton, short emissions, short cattle, short silver, um, short some you know real estate stocks, short nifty you know equity indices. All of that um, caused major losses, and um, you know more short uh, short oil as well. Um, oil has been moving continues to move in a, in a very violent way up or down there's no talk of a potential agreement between the opec or opec plus and maybe the g20 energy ministers um to agree on a reduction of output of 10 millions uh, 10 million barrels per day or even more which has influenced the curves and the oil price quite a bit so it's it's moving fast um and um well we'll see um we'll see on tuesday how that continues i guess and, and where the market's open um what has worked i mean gold has been coming back a bit stronger in the past couple of days uh so from my you know that's a long position trade in my portfolio so that's good and um you know yeah, that's about it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a short list this week. Yeah, it's a really, really a short trade. list. I, yeah, I, I had a look uh, yesterday at my portfolio and really of all the markets that I'm trading, most of them really lost money. I mean, there's only a handful that made a little bit of money. I mean, there's, you know, many that didn't lose much, but still the, you know, the sign is negative. And then a couple, you know, those that I've just mentioned um, with uh, more substantial losses. So it's been a week of, of give back. Uh, pretty much every day. Uh, I remember, you know, looking for the first time on Monday and it's kind of like every day this week was a down day. Um, you know, Monday started bad, became poor on Tuesday. I think Wednesday was kind of flat and then Thursday was bad again. So um, it is what it is. It's, uh, you know, welcome to the ride. This is what we do. Um, it's minus 4% and then comma, so what? You know, we don't know what the next week will bring. So it, I, I don't want to sound too... Um, uh, demotivated or, or depressed here. I mean, this is, you know, stuff that happens in the normal modus operandi that we're in and um, we'll just plug along. Yeah, I want to come back to that, I'm sure, because we have obviously uh, a, um, a, a program today that you and I didn't plan for, so I'm sure we'll have some time to more uh, freestyle this uh, episode. Um, let me quickly, sort of just from our point of view, um, I want to start by maybe giving a little bit of context to the week, right? So so we had a week where we saw this continuing massive expansion of the Fed and, of course, other central banks' balance sheet, right? So now, in terms of the Fed, it stands at $5.97 That's almost $400 billion higher than the week before. So in light of that, you could say it's no surprise that the S&P had its best week since 1974, up 12.5% or so. But then the contrast to that is, during the same week, we saw an explosion uh, in terms of unemployment, right? So it's, it's a really, really strange world and how the financial markets are, um, you know, moving around, I wouldn't even say reacting because, you know, I think they're just moving around um, and it's kind of a little bit uh, out of sync with what goes on in the real economy to some extent. It's very much driven by emotion, sentiment, news. Obviously, COVID-19 numbers themselves can move things around uh, at the moment. Um, however, I do think we'll all come back and reflect on things like unemployment uh, later in Q2, um, but at least for last week, 
um, everyone got extremely bullish again on on equities, and we'll see about that. Gold had, I think, for a short period of time, made an eight-year high, as far as I uh, remember. Uh, and the index of fear, the VIX, dropped down to about 42, which is around half of what it was at its high in March. So again, massive moves. Um, now, from our point of view, this change in sentiment, um, it's never easy to deal with as a trend follower, right? Because suddenly markets turn around and they have these massive, for now, let's call them counter-trend rallies. And... Um, you know, on our side, we certainly saw a small loss this week uh, due to these counter-trend rallies. Uh, the most challenging reversals for us were natural gas and the Australian dollar. Um, but most markets like you, Moritz, it was kind of a, a, a sea of small red numbers uh, when I look at the uh, portfolio. There were a couple of bright spots, though. Actually, the best week, uh, sorry, the best markets for the week was lean hawks. Gold, as well as you mentioned, did fine. Uh, wheat uh, was also a market where we made a little bit of money and we actually made a little bit of money in US equity markets um, since they're a little bit different from our analysis than some of the European ones. Um, but overall, a quiet to a down down week for sure. Um, but I wanted to bring something up uh, since we are freestyling today and that is that if we go back and we think about some of the narrative that these three videos that I mentioned, and of, co of course you've seen one of them, as you rightly say, it's a very bleak, it's a very bearish outlook for the next few years. But what is also pointed out, certainly in Rule's video, is that during bear markets, you may actually see more days where the markets are trading up, which is completely counterintuitive to how you think a bear market should be. And so we will have, even if they're right, and the markets drop substantially, I don't mean 5 or 10%. I mean, these people are looking at substantial drops in equity markets and in other markets as well. Um, but so even if they're right, we will see very steep, both quick, but can also be of long duration and can be in terms of magnitude, quite significant counter trend rallies, right? So right now, I think we're moving up to the 50% retracement level for the current move down. Um, but you could go to 0.87 for that matter, and it still could fit into some kind of big bear market. So I think you pointed it out pretty well, uh, Moritz, by saying that you know, this is, I can't remember the words you say, but it's its not easy, but it is part of how markets react and how they work. So, um, so the question will be for any investor, whether you're discretionary or in our case, systematic, and that is, will you be able to hold on through something like this? Um, if they're right, of course, we know, we don't know, but let's just for argument's sake, let's assume that they're right, that we're going to have a a much tougher economic period ahead of us. Um, it that seems reasonable, I would say, given what's what's happening. So, um, look, I what don't are your think. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't think you can really time this. I mean, um, this is you know we don't know what it is. It may be a bear market rally, or it may be the start of a new bull run. Who knows? Like you say, Niels, we'll let the prices guide our way going forward, right? But when I look back not even this past week, but even the week before when equity markets started to recover, 
I had the feeling, hey, come on, this is, this is just, you know, my, my feeling. They're recovering too much. You know, the situation is really much worse. Look at all those unemployment numbers in the U.S. Look at unemployment numbers around the world, right? And consider the long-term effects of the economy really being, the economies globally, most of them, being in a shutdown, and some countries have not yet been fully affected by the virus, for instance, Africa, for instance, Brazil or Argentina. And maybe, you know, the worst is still to come for countries such as the United States. And are we really, therefore, thinking that a V-shaped type of, oh, let's dip it, and then we're back to normal, is a real possibility? Or is it more, hey, there's going to be longer-term effects there because people will have less money? I guess the average person is going to be a bit poorer once this is all over than they used to be before. And this has ramifications for consumption and, you know, purchasing of new things and, you know, your spirit and psychology and confidence and all of that. And this has, you know, tends to create a, a macroeconomic drag, an economic drag on, on, on you know, growth and, and society. So it, it felt to me that yeah, this is over. This this is too much of a of, of a you know bounce back. Um, um, but then you know this week came and it bounced back even um, stronger. So I think it's impossible to time, and therefore yes, a week like this one where you're losing more than four percent is you know yeah it's it's one of those weeks. But it may be turning around the next week and we'll be happy again that we're you know we stuck with our positions and uh, we continue our our short uh, short side of trades on the equities. If it continues higher and higher, then at some point we'll cover the shorts and go long again. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there are many many things uh, to to go with from what you say. One of the things, unfortunately, and I really do think it's unfortunate. I, I I really don't think it's just a few people who will be worse off once this crisis is over. I think this will affect all of us. Really, uh, obviously, the one percenters won't feel it, but you know, the rest of us will feel it. So. I think there will be definitely a difference. Um, now, when you, I mean, by, first of all, uh, you know, plus minus four percent, anyways, in our industry, in our the way we trade, I completely mean, it's, fine. it's just completely normal, um, and it doesn't really matter what the underlying cause is. So, so that is not different. And also, I think uh, when you look at the um, markets right now, if you look at the equity markets, and you. You, you mentioned this thing about, well, you know, with all the bad news out there, um, the markets shouldn't really bounce that much, you know, but but th this is exactly how markets <laughs> uh, usually trick us. And, and, and from what I remember from the video, I think it was uh, Royal Pal's video, where they overlay the current equity uh, down move with what happened in 1929, I think it was, it's a mirror image. I mean, it, they're exactly the same. And and so and and there were some massive massive counter trend rallies uh, back then, and and we're gonna see that uh, as well this time without without a doubt. Um, so, but I also want to maybe talk about the fact that we talk about this being unprecedented. We hear that word a lot. I'm sure I use it a lot, saying this is unprecedented. Well. In many respects, it's probably not. I mean, you know, a lot of the things that are happened has probably happened before. Um, we may have forgotten about it, but you know, uh, big moves. If you go back far enough in history, has happened before. It's just that people listening to us talking today, and you and I, um, may not remember. Now, I 
talked about this before. I mean, I started in 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 the finance industry a few weeks before the Black Monday, nineteen eighty seven, where stocks fell twenty percent in a day. So you know that has happened, and we have not even seen that this time around. We've seen twelve percent, maybe or eleven percent down, but we haven't seen twenty percent down in a day. So again, it is something we haven't experienced for a while. Agree, but it has happened. I think in many respect, this has happened. What is unfortunate, I think, about what has happened this time around is that it comes like a domino effect on top of all sorts of other things that uh, the world has had to deal with in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, starting really with the financial crisis and how we responded to that and just put, you know, liquidity and saved a lot of companies that probably shouldn't have been saved and, you know, beefed up, uh, you know, allowing people to do massive share bikes for uh, share buybacks for borrowed money and, and, and all of that stuff. So we've, there's a lot of um, bad stuff, let's put it that way. It's a, obviously, uh, uh, we, we make sure we use the right language here, but it, there's a lot of bad stuff that has happened leading into this. And then we get an event such as COVID-19, which is something that really touches or will at some point probably have touched most countries around the world. And as you say, we shut down the whole economies, which we haven't tried before. So yeah, it's gonna be, there's gonna be a massive impact. Uh, how markets will react and how it's gonna play out in the markets, we, we don't know and we'll, we'll be guided. But one thing that I heard Chris Cole talk about um, on a recent podcast, and that is people underestimate how elevated volatility can be once you have a big event. Volatility, which we in the past few years have seen down in the in in the single digits at some point, but certainly down in the teens for quite a while. Volatility can easily stay at 35 or more for years. We've seen that before. We just haven't seen it recently. And I think that is what people might underestimate this time around. And I also think that's why I'm very optimistic about the opportunities that strategies such as trend following, which relies on one thing, which is change, um, will have very good conditions. Agree. Um, look, volatility has a couple of properties. Um, one of them is it's it's mean reverting. Another one is it's clustering and it may be clustering at a higher level regime. I think this is what Chris Cole is saying for a longer period of what we uh, got used to, and we may be in a period like that right now. One of the things that, that I want to say regarding um, the charts and the comparisons to 1929, and there's a couple of these things. I mean, we know that, you know, every every situation that happens is that happens today in the markets is in some shape or form unique, even though history can be a guide, and we're using it as a guide, right, when we design systems and stuff. History repeats, but it never, or it rhymes, but it never really exactly repeats in the same way, right? So when we look at those charts and we overlay the S&P 500 or the Dow, uh, in, in that case, to the 1929 chart, and it looks so nicely similar, yeah, um, fine. But I wouldn't really overinterpret that in any uh, in any greater way and say only because it has uh, followed the same path until now, it's definitely going to be following the same path tomorrow and the weeks and the month thereafter. Why? Because look, I mean, the situations are also different. I mean, um, 
the central banks, the interconnectedness of markets globally, um, the geopolitics these days are very different, right? The the ammunition that governments and central banks uh, throw at markets is probably that's something that hasn't happened in, in, in 1929 or the 1930s, not not in the same way. So it's very difficult to expect the exact same outcome, I would say. Um, you know, different things may happen. Bitcoin may take over. Who knows, right? But yes, um, be careful. Um, this, you know, only because we've just had this nice rally in the equities doesn't mean that we're, we're out of this bear market and out of this crisis or correction. Uh, it may last for a much, much longer period of time than we would all like. Um, and this, this is, um, this is, yeah, a, a probability that people shouldn't discount. I think another thing that um, this period will teach us is the importance of non-correlation. Um, and going as far as saying that non-correlation or anti-correlation is more important than excess return. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people have, you know, moved into private equity, for example, to get more better returns than what they could get from public equities. But they're incredibly highly correlated, at least if you mark to market uh, your private equity stuff, you would find that it's very highly correlated. And sometimes a strategy that may not actually produce exactly this as, as high returns as, as, uh, as, as that alternative might overall be better for your portfolio um, because it might it would ideally if it's non-correlated produce returns when you most need them and therefore your total return stream doesn't go into these major drawdowns as we've seen um, so that I think that's another interesting point to take uh, from the current period once the dust settles hopefully that's some of the conversations we can all have um, and um, of course, in our view, we would say, well, you can actually get both with trend following because you can get good absolute returns, but you also get that benefit of non-correlation over time, and that is truly important. So, uh, so we'll see how it all uh, plays out. Yes, we will see deflationary depression, inflation, or nothing at all. Um, who knows? <laughs> it's a, it's impossible, really. You know, we can all like Raul, um, and he's excellent at that. That you know, um, you know, form our probabilities. And I think it's important to think about you know the probability spectrum of what can happen. I also think it's important not to overemphasize only the negative aspects of that. Yes, we may be at a very extreme point in time, right? But in the long run, staying an optimist. The optimists have won, right? Normally, we tend to come out of these things in a you know. In, in a in a better shape eventually right um so i don't want to just you know paint it black and say it's it's uh, at some point we're going to be hitting the wall and we'll, we'll you know uh reach the end so but yeah it's you know stay i i'd say you know stay liquid which is you know things that we're doing stay liquid and be careful with um, the exposures you have to counterparties and um, what type of assets you trade yeah. One thing we which we didn't we kind of alluded to last week when we talked um and and that was just because the numbers were so fresh we hadn't really seen a lot but clearly the month of March uh, even within trend following there was a lot of return dispersion meaning that there were some big numbers to the upside and there were a few big numbers to the downside so I think I mean obviously it's hard for us to kind of go into too much detail here because we don't know exactly what uh, our peers are doing 
but what we but we what certainly what we can say is that seemingly different uh, you know s- seemingly similar trend following strategies produced quite different returns in the month of March and I think that for those of you who are not designing your own systems are actually investing with external managers um, which probably is a, a large chunk of, of you listening to us today you know the month of March actually was a great month to uh, to use for analysis purposes to see the difference between one approach to another between and I think that really the unsung hero sometimes is not necessarily the signals themselves it's it's the risk management we overlay and the techniques um, so I think that that's another interesting aspect that will come out of this uh, period as, as, as well um, I've got we've got a few questions Moritz that we can certainly tackle although the, some of them we should was actually also uh, very relevant for our guest who will remain secret until we bring him on um, hopefully soon mm-hmm. um, but um, did you pick up any interesting articles in the in the wake of, of what's going on or some I mean there's always great tweets that we follow but of course, as you mentioned, we hadn't really yes. imagined we were going to do this today. So, uh, but did you kind of remember anything? Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, our preparation for today's uh, chat was a bit different. Um, but one article I read this past week, and it's actually a very nice follow-on to um, last week's guest, Harold De Boer, is an article published by Trendstrand, uh, I think around midweek or Tuesday, probably was on their website, um, talking about active trading and social responsibility in trading. Um, and this is a probably a quick read, 10 minutes or so, four to five pages. Um, and it goes to show, you know, how important it is that, you know, there's an active participation in price discovery, um, you know, providing liquidity to the markets as opposed to just absorbing and taking liquidity from the markets by being passive and, you know, price insensitive um with a kind of you know just just an allocation that that rolls um and he talks about uh you know short positions and why you know many people governments and regulators they think short positions are something that's bad and you know every once in a while shorting is getting banned as is the case right now for instance in italy and spain and other european countries right the market's correct and they immediately ban short selling um which may be the the absolute wrong thing to do um, short selling is not the root cause uh, of a falling market, but it seems to be, and I really believe that, it's a necessary feature of well-working markets to allow shorting. And so I think this is a good read. It's not in, you know, it's not overly complex, doesn't have any mathematical formulas, but very well written, good insight into trading and uh, how markets work and how prices are discovered and, and how they are established. So. If you have 10 minutes to spare, you can find that article on the Transport website and I highly recommend reading it. Yeah, yeah, they produce some great uh, papers. Um, so uh, I'm sure it's going to be worth everyone's time to uh, to look that up. What else uh, did you notice uh, from this week in terms of, of uh, I know it was a, 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 a maybe a little bit of quieter week because of the uh, Easter uh, holiday, but were there anything else that you uh, picked up in terms of news or tweets? Uh, yeah, so most of the tweets I picked up and, and and the ones that attracted my attention, they were around the oil market, really, to come back oh, yeah. on, onto that. It's um, sure. um, 
you know, oil has been trading. So WTI has been trading below 20, uh, the front month contract. And I think, you know, we moved up uh, to the 28 or 29 bucks range, something like that. Um, and so, but there's, you know, this is such a, such an interesting topic because, you know, on the one hand, uh, lower oil prices are good. I think President Trump has said they're just like another tax cut because gasoline is getting cheaper, right? And uh, driving is getting cheaper and uh, cheap jet fuel is good for the recovery of the airline industry in the wake of COVID-19, right? But then on the other hand, low oil prices are very bad for the oil industry. And the US has developed into the largest producer of oil with the massive shale industry. And of course, you know, that is a more expensive barrel to produce compared to Saudi Arabia. So it's this double-edged sword, you know, it's too low, is good, but too low is also bad. So there's a lot of politics in this. And obviously, you know, OPEC being a cartel doesn't make that any easier. And Russia has their own interests and Saudi Arabia may have very different interests. And now there's Mexico uh, throwing a spanner in the wheels. And it's, it's just very interesting dynamics around that product and the storage capabilities, much of which is already floating. The curve dynamics of that product, it's extremely steep contango still at the front. Um, so very, very interesting to uh, to follow along. Obviously, you know, we're not putting on any discretionary trades. I'm still firmly short. I think my my stop to get out of that short is uh, is, is still quite some, some dollars away. Um, but I, I just, you know, find the developments around oil um, very interesting at the moment. You know, it's the three Ps, right? It's it's the Putin, the prince, and the pandemic that all plays together. And the here. president. The <laughs> and the president, the four Ps, <laughs> and the president. Um, you know, what you say, of course, is right. The thing is that you can have oil at $5 if we're not allowed, we, we, if we can't fly, and we're not going to drive because we're in quarantine. It's not much of a tax cut. But it is, you know, of course, oil has a massive impact on on the world, uh, so it, it is uh, important. And I don't know, but I have a feeling that rolls are coming up in oil. And of course, as we, mm -hmm. some people might think that oil is $20, you know, forever. It's not. I mean, it's $20 in the current front month contract, but it's pretty steep in terms of Correct. the, yeah. So how, how does that all play in, do you think? And how will that play into your, uh, Oh yes, to your to your model. That 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 is a great point. So let's uh, connect all of those observations back to the way we trade. If you run a system, and I know many people do, that you know runs a generic contract or produces a generic time series out of a rolling front month contract type of strategy, which is something that you can do by rolling oil right now from um, from April to May, right. Um, and then from May to June and from June to July does have monthly expiries, then right now you'd be rolling um, um, into a very steep contango, right? So it's it's a couple of dollars, like the next contract, I think, you know, June is probably trading, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I would say four or five dollars. Four or five dollars above May, yeah. something yeah. like that, right? I, I, I don't have the right, the exact numbers out of me. This is um, super, super steep. So one of the things that I do, and I really recommend people having a look at that with their trading systems is to not, you know, uh, just, you know, robotically only roll the front month contract into the near month, but to look at the curve 
there's different points on the curve that you can trade, right? And you may find that going farther out, even in an environment where there is backwardation, by the way, right, um, may be a wise thing to do. It reduces trading costs. It reduces the number of rolls that you need to do. It reduces the bit of spread that you pay and cross when you do those rolls. Um, and you will find that at the farther end of the curve, there's also less volatility, right? The front month is right now extremely volatile. Whereas, you know, if you're, say, in January 21, uh, the volatility is probably a third over there. So there's, there's things that you can do um, to get different results and different exposures in not only the crude oil market, the same is true for nat gas and gasoline and, you know, the commodity markets which have liquid forward curves. Um, we're doing the same in short-term interest rates, right? There's this. So look at all those points. You can, you know, uh, regard them kind of like as an individual market. You can say, okay, I'm, I'm trading June oil or deck oil in the same way I'd be trading March and September. Just, you know, look at them as individual products. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's really important. I want to jump just to one question here, uh, for example, that I see that came in from Craig. Um, and um, since we are uh, doing this a little bit different today, uh, Craig is, is, is writing, given the unprecedented amount of central bank stimulus at present, my thoughts start to turn to hyperinflation as potential endgame for this activity. Do you think a trend-following portfolio is well equipped to handle such environment? Uh, would returns make up for those uh, loss in fiat purchasing power? Um, have you ever thought about that, Uh Yes, and I would like to have an answer to that. It's one of the things that I have on my mind. I think I've mentioned it before uh, on this podcast is, you know, that we may be doing a lot of things right. And we may be riding some of the greatest trends that we'll ever see. But the question is, what is it going to be worth at the end of the day? Uh, we don't know. If, if we're not if our returns don't compensate for the loss of purchasing power in the fiat currency that we're trading, because at the end of the day, if we're still staying in the system that we are in, our variation margin is paid to us in some fiat currency, be that euro or dollars or yen, right? And if there is a hyperinflationary environment and the value of those currencies or the purchasing power that is related to those currencies uh, reduces faster than we're making profits, then what have we, you know, what's the bottom line for us? Have we really won anything? Maybe we've lost less than the alternatives, but it's very difficult to call it a winner. Um, but don't forget, I mean, I in, during those environments, I mean, we've, there's there's no way to test that. You know, the last hyperinflationary, say, Weimar Republic environment, there haven't really been CTAs around. You know, maybe you know, the Livermores and so forth. But you know, what what have been the futures markets out there? I mean, there's a couple of commodities, right? But there, there's no equity index futures contract. There's no euro dollar futures contract. There's no oil futures contract. None of that existed, right? So it's impossible road to make that back test. Um, but I expect in in those periods of time when it's really hyperinflationary, I don't expect governments and central banks to just um, let it rip. I mean, there's going to be interventions that are impossible to forecast, you know, maybe penalties, taxations, you know, property being taken away from you, um, things becoming illegal, for instance, the possession of gold, we've had that before, right? So there is, it's impossible to have a crystal ball for that, um, for that environment. And, but on the flip side, 
we have no crystal ball regardless of the environment even if it's kind of like you know plain sailing right we don't have that crystal ball and we always get back and revert back to what we think is the best approach to handling these markets which is trend following just follow the trends see what's out there and move in the direction where it's moving right small losses and ride the big winners don't kick yourself out of the profits too soon but keep your losses small don't worry about them do the next 1000 or the next 3000 trades it's only one small loss this seems to be to me the recipe um that is um yeah that 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 just works right it's the most it's from a risk point of view from a return point of view from a stability peace of mind point of view you know have yourself guided by those systems accept the fact that you're doing you're having many many small losses and so what and stay along for the eventual big ride on a big winning trade i think also to add to that i think there's a couple of other things i mean of course you you're right about you know where to stall the the money that you may have or that you may make from your investment strategy that's going to pro be a problem not just for trend following it's going to be a problem for everyone so obviously that's something that managers will need to uh, figure out i remember that there has in the past been some funds where there's actually they they got denominated in gold to cta funds actually that was denominated in gold where everything was was uh, somehow uh, related back to gold so i mean there are there are different ways uh, i'm sure we, we it's a creative industry so so i think that there's going to be um um yeah, things that we can do on on that side. If it came to that, uh, obviously we're some far, some 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 ways away from that. Um, the other thing I think is that uh, first of all, uh, if we are going to have uh, much higher inflation, uh, which could come down the road, um, at least on our side, since our firm is founded in 1974, we actually have tried to trade through a real uh, situation or real period where interest rates went up dramatically. Um, and um, and that was actually a pretty good period uh, in terms of returns. Um, not suggesting that you know past performance is any guide to future performance, but you know from experience, it's something we've tried, something we've done. Not many people can say that. Um, and uh, and thirdly, I think that uh, if you can separate the things about you know keeping your main um, assets um, safe. I think I would much rather be exposed to a strategy like trend following where after all we have many, many things to trade such as commodities and if we are going to have hyperinflation those commodities prices are going to go through the roof um, compared to just being stuck in one asset. I mean, of course, the worst one could be bonds because if inflation goes up, interest rates will go up and um, and you could really get hurt uh, if you can only be long bonds. But other things could also, all other traditional assets could be, be uh, having a rough time as well. Um, so, again, trend following has many, I think, many opportunity sets. Um, and so you're right. I mean, I would also yeah. uh, feel very comfortable. Uh, um, and one of the things I'd like to add to that and is, you know, it's probably very important. I don't want to say probably. I think it is going to be very important in a period like that to be system guided and have a plan and have a couple of rules that you can stick to and refer to. 
Because, you know, if this really happens, you know, if there is hyperinflation, if there is government interventions, whatever the case may be, if, you know, you're going to, every one of us, myself included, you, you Niels, we all, it doesn't matter whether you're trading systematic or not, but you will be following these events, you will be reading about them on the web, in the newspapers and so forth, right? So it will affect you. And um, there's, you know, if you're concerned about your wealth, your family's well-being, the outlook uh, for your kids, whatever it is, right? This is a very emotional environment that tends to lead to bad trading. So I think we'll have a leg up with the way that we trade, with our systems, if we can stick to them, which I hope we can during those periods, right? And just follow along. Um, this will be a massive advantage because, you know, look, I mean, what what I think is is a difference really between us and say the discretionary traders if you have this discretionary trade you don't want to be a loser you make a decision to buy or sell something because you expect that to be a winning trade because you've made that decision and your decision obviously is a good one right so you you're kind of like you you have a problem from the get-go um to have that trade that you're doing turn into a losing trade because you know it, it kind of like proves you wrong whereas what we do um, we're looking at our statistics. I completely expect to be proven wrong. Proven, proven wrong is be that's part of the business. You know, we're we're professional losers all the time, and um, it doesn't really hurt me in any way anymore. I expect sixty percent of those trades to be losing trades. <laughs> so um, it is it is kind of like this induces a form of stability in trading and it's one of those massive benefits of system trading that you just you know accept that and get on with it and i think this is where a lot of the edge is yeah no i think that's a great point um that, that that's a great point um i mean i remember some of the crises we've been through already and certain the stories from people uh who were not systems traders and how difficult it was for them to uh, to get through and i actually think that it's no coincidence that most of the best performing hedge funds and and let's include ctas in that uh, definition but um the best performing uh, of these funds have tended to be in the past 20 years or so systematically run funds not the discretionary global macro guys uh, they can have one or two good years but you know long term um, it is the rules-based uh, investors. We got a question from Michael, which I'd like Michael to... Um, actually, it's a little while you sent it in. It was back in late March. I'm going to defer that because it's very relevant to the guest we, we were bringing on today. So I'm going to defer that to when he comes. But there is one other question, which is from uh, our friend George. And that is uh, something I think is relevant for our conversation today. Uh, and that is... You know, George is writing, has the recent market turmoil led to any discoveries that will be added to your systems going forward? But I think, let's just say discoveries in general or some aha moments. Um, have you, have, you have, have something in your mind kind of clicked and have you seen anything in a different light, Moritz, from what took place in the last four or five, six weeks? Um, great question, but no. Um, not that I can say really. I, I didn't discover anything new, anything that I didn't see anything that really surprised me. Or um, yeah, no, there wasn't. There, there was no surprise. I mean, one of the things that I observed, and maybe it's uh, it's worth mentioning that here because it doesn't occur so regularly. We can all see 
you know, that prices have become more volatile and that, you know, they have been, you know, equities have been moving down. Now they've been moving up. Volatility has been going up. Uh, bonds have been going up and down and then up again. Oil down, whatever it is. Um, but what I, th what, what I, some feedback that I get from people that I talk to is that they got surprised by the amount exchange initial margin requirements could increase and how some brokers put massive add-ons even on that number, right? So you test a system and you run it with a certain amount of leverage in your portfolio and it all looks fine, but it looks fine because you don't have historical margin rates. You know, you can test a system that goes back into the 1980s, but you will test it without having any idea what the margin to equity would have been during those periods of time because you're probably using one margin to equity number, right? I mean, you, you can definitely do it in a more sophisticated way, but I'm just thinking this is how I started. You know, I, I didn't even, you know, I, I had a guess around what the... Uh, uh, margin to equity would be at certain points in time and then you know data became available and I could become more detailed about that but what what I find is that if you're running those portfolios and they're running with too high leverage and or you're using a broker that really overcharges you for margin then you may find um, yourself at risk or your positions at risk of a forced liquidation because you no longer have the access equity to support your positions and this is one of those things, I mean, it didn't surprise me, like I say, but because it doesn't happen so often, like you know, once a decade, there is this kind of like thing where margins really increase. It's worth pointing out, I think, because it, it should also play a role when you design your system and you backtest it and you think about the amount of risk that you want to run with your system. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, for me, I think there are actually a few things that... Um, not necessarily, I would say, new discoveries, but certainly very, very good reminders to to uh, to be reminded of to uh, and the importance of what it what it means during a crisis period. The first thing I, I would I, I think of is just liquidity in the markets, right? I think that we've seen even in the most liquid markets uh, that liquidity from time to time during the last four or five weeks um, became a little bit of an issue. In some markets, it became a big issue, not necessarily futures. I think, again, it was a nice reminder that futures markets are super liquid. Um, and um, and even though we don't really get any um, praise for trading liquid assets because there's no premium for us uh, to be had, I think... Um, I think our industry should be, uh, you know, looked in a in a in a good light for being uh, so liquid uh, as it is. Of course, that might hurt us from time to time because we may be used as the ATM when people can't get any access to other strategies because they're either there's no bid or or gated or whatever it might be. So I think liquidity is, is super important. I actually heard from a good friend of mine who have some uh, other types of investments as well. And in some of those funds, in particular in fixed income, where you've seen these lovely steady returns for many years, it looks great. And you know kind of deep down that it's probably a little bit, you know, credit risk here and there and liquidity risk here and there. But all I can say is that certainly during this uh, last few weeks that was completely exposed and some of these funds were that just weren't any bids that they could trade at uh, in some of those uh, fixed income products so liquidity is super important another thing that maybe um, uh, surprised me a little bit uh, was the fact um, I'm not surprised but 
it pointed out to me also that when it comes to liquidity, some of these, some strategies that are incredibly reliant on liquidity, for example, short-term strategies, that they have become um, maybe a little bit too big in some markets uh, for being able to do what they want. Uh, so I think we've seen a little bit of that, and 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 so that that part of our industry, I think, we need to be really careful about size. Uh, we've talked about this many times. It it goes for trend followers as well. We shouldn't be too big for the markets we trade, and I think we got a little bit of reminder of that, uh, uh, you know, once again. And and finally, I would just say, risk management um, is you know the importance of risk management of a really robust approach to risk management. I think is is very uh, important. Certainly. Uh, the way we look at risk and which is more of a holistic view rather than single trades or single markets in isolation we really look at it uh, on on a on a holistic view for the portfolio and i think uh, for us that was uh, a nice uh, real time stress test to see how the portfolio uh, reacted how the risk limits uh, act was activated so to speak uh, and um, and how quickly they were able to to bring down the 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 exposure on a portfolio level, but also on individual markets, because as soon as you start reducing your exposure in certain markets, it actually has an impact on other markets. The way we see it, at least, because of the correlation benefit, you may lose. Uh, so, so it has more of of uh, implications than that. So, I think for me, those were things that kind of um, stood out from the last few weeks. Um, not necessarily to you know that we're going to change what we do. I don't think we are. I think it, it worked out as we had expected, designed it to do. But but I think these are really important topics um, as well, on top of what you said, Moritz. Yes. All right, Moritz. I think let's um, slowly start to wrap this up. Um, we'll keep it as a short uh, Easter episode um, and, uh, and then we'll come back strong next week. Uh, let me quickly look at the performance so far uh, and uh, as of Thursday night um, for the industry. Now, Friday was closed in most countries, so I could, I'd safe to say that this is probably where the, the week closed, more, more or less. Uh, the beta 50 index um, is down 0.23% uh, for the uh, month of uh, April and down 249 for the year. The Sokjen uh, CT index is down 1.63% for the month, and but still up 1.16% for the year. Uh, the Sokjen trend index is down about 90 basis points for the month and up 1.37 for the year. And the Sokjen short-term traders index is down a fraction for the month and still up 3.85% uh, for the year. And then finally, the bridge alternatives index down about a percent so far this month and still up 2.25 percent for the year so yeah kind of a quiet uh, i would say start to the second quarter so far anything else Mort, that you want to uh bring up uh as we uh, as we wrap up for today two happies happy easter and happy trading um happy trading next week and all the best best of luck yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll echo that. Of course, if you have extra time on your hands during this uh, COVID-19 lockdown or during a, 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 an Easter break, um, you know, there is, as I mentioned before, there's a new updated version of the ultimate guide to the best investment books of all times. And you can get that on the website, toptradersonplug.com. 
Um, so that might give you some inspiration for your own investment portfolio. And of course, um, you know, we uh, would certainly like, uh, if you have time, uh, leave a rating and review uh, on iTunes. That always helps. But on that note, we're going to wrap it up and say thanks so much for um, listening in. Thank you for sending us your questions. Keep sending them at info at toptradersonplug.com and we'll do our best to answer them. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.